You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Nathan Peternell. I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, is this the way they spend our tithe dollars? And I'll bet you that video took him all of like 10 minutes to do because he's just talented and a jerk. So um, anyway, if you're new with us, we like to have fun in the house of the Lord. We hope that you will too. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to go through 15 through 29. Um, and uh, one thing we do, if you're new with us, is that we do expository preaching, and so we are just picking up right off of where we left off last week. Last week was our, our, our Life Group Sunday, and so we really talked about the power of a friend that God had left to try to thwart an evil plan that was happening against King David. King David's son, Absalom is a rebel. He's trying to take the kingdom from his father. He's willing to kill his father. And he has a counselor. His name is Ahithophel. Ahithophel is a really shrewd, wise man. And his goal, uh, because there was an offense in his heart, this is actually Ahithophel is, is Bathsheba's grandfather. And because of everything that happened that David you know, really messed up and sinned in that situation. Um, he, he has it in his heart that if I can help Absalom take the kingdom from David, I'm going to do that. And it's not just these two men, the whole of the kingdom. David had lost their hearts because of, of Absalom's way of kind of wooing people and saying, you have an offense, you have a good reason for that offense. And in your offense, you know, I wish you could get justice, but you can't because my dad's on the throne and he doesn't, if he would make me judge, if I were judge, right? And there's been this long kind of, uh, it's, it's been a coup d'etat that has been coming together for a long time. And, and so last week we saw where David is running for his life. And Ahithophel, the, the wise and shrewd counselor, he says, hey, uh, give me 12,000 men right now. I'll go tonight. I'll find just David. I'll kill him. I'll bring everybody else back. We need to kill David while he's weary and weak. And that was what we saw last week. But then we saw that there was a guy who, his name is Hushai. He was the friend of David. And he has been positioned there as a spy to, and this was, this was the prayer. He had prayed, David had prayed a prayer when he realized that Ahithophel was on the other side of him. He said, oh God, thwart the counsel of Ahithophel, make his counsel foolishness. And what do you know, but God used a friend, the king's friend, Hushai, in order to give different counsel. And he comes back to David, or he comes back to Absalom, and he says, listen, um, you are, you're, you know, you, you want to hold on. You want to slow down here a little bit. You don't want to go right after David. Your, your dad is a, he's, he's like a bear in a field that its cubs have been robbed of it. He is aggressive. He is ferocious. All of his men are ferocious. And look, you go out and you get this battle wrong and you lose, everybody's going to lose confidence in you. What you need to do is get every single person, every person, make them come out, march side by side with you. Everybody's got to be counted. And then we'll go after him, and then we'll defeat him. 
But here's what Hushai knows David needs. David needs time. He needs to be able to get his back to some friends. And that's, that's what he's trying to buy him that time. And this is where our story picks up. But before we get there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a situation in your life happen where it just seemed like everything was going wrong all at the same time? You just felt like you were under attack from every direction. And, okay, in those times, maybe you could think back over your life, did you ever have a moment where you recognize, hey, God is working in this situation. He sends you just the right person at just the right time, in the nick of time, in order to help save you. Um, when I was a kid, I got married when I was 21 years old. How many got married anywhere around 21 or under, okay? We're not particularly smart at that time in our life. And, um, but but I, I got married and... Um, do you know how Dave Ramsey says that what you have is you have a, you have a nerd in the, in the couple relationship and then you have a free spirit? Well, Chrissy and I were both the free spirits. And so there needed to be a development of a nerd, but I, I had not yet developed into that yet. And I, I was making some bad decisions with our money. I would like to blame it on her, but I was the one that was in charge doing it, so really it was me. And uh, I started to bounce some checks. How many have ever bounced some checks? And you know that there's a, a check leads into another check that leads into another check, and there's a penalty and a penalty and a penalty. And pretty soon that can get out of hand. And, and I, I had that happen to me. And I called my, my mom and dad, and I, I told them what I had done. And they were very, very gracious. Um, and all of a sudden, I get a check in the mail uh, for $1,000. And, I mean, it was more than enough to bail me out of that problem. Um, and when my mom and dad would give something to us as kids, and, you know, I have, I have three other siblings, they wouldn't just give it to the one kid that was hurting. They would send a blessing to all of the kids for the same amount, right? So my, my siblings just open up a check. They have no idea why they're getting a check for $1,000. Just mom and dad being a blessing to them. It was actually mom and dad bailing out your idiot brother who, uh, who, who messed up, right? And, uh, you know, it's one thing to give a gift. It's another thing to then help a person to not do that again, right? It, you can give a man a fish, you feed him for a moment, teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And the Lord sent another woman into my life. Her name was Trudy Wells, and she was our office administrator. Her office was right outside my office at, when I worked at Eagle Creek. And, and uh, she said, Nathan, let me help you. And she taught me how to balance a checkbook and how to get everything in order. And uh, boy, what a blessing to have somebody who's not looking at you like you're an idiot, but just a nice person, you know? <laughs> who's just kind of, okay, that's all right. We'll teach you how to do this. This won't happen again, right? But I, you get in trouble, and you need help, and it's all there in the nick of time. That's what's happening to David here. Watch this. We're going to start in verse 15. It says, Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar the priests, 
This is what Ahithophel counseled Absalom and the elders of Israel, and this is what I counseled. What he's doing here is he's telling him, look, you weren't there, but I know that you're spies like me. You're going to carry this information to David. Let me tell you what happened in the court of the king. And he goes through the play-by-play that was preached last week, and, and then he tells them what's coming. What's coming is they're coming after you. They're coming quick. And I may have bought you a little time, but that's it. Get yourself, start moving, get things in order. Verse 16, it says, Now therefore, send quickly and tell David, saying, Do not spend the night at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means cross over, or else the king and all the people who are with him will be destroyed. It's this kind of a message. Do this and do it now. You know, our friends can counsel us but we have to take action for our own lives, don't we? I think there's a lot of people in this world, they have savior complexes. They want to save everybody from their own decisions. And I'll just be honest with you, pain is a great teacher. How many have found that to be true in your life? And and there's a lot of times we get ourselves, we experience pain, but then when we look back at it, we go, you know, I'm glad that happened. I'm glad that happened. That helped make me who I needed to be. That helped forge something inside of me. And so I don't think it's good when we try to save everybody from from the ramifications of their life. I think sometimes they need to pay for the ramifications of their life. But we as parents, and I've talked to any parents today, it's hard to watch your kids struggle. Now, if we being earthly parents delight to give, you know, good gifts to our children, imagine how the father feels when he watches all that pain hit our life and he's thinking to himself, man, I don't want you to have to go through this. But the good thing is, is that wise parents know that there are weights you can't lift off your children. Your children need to learn to lift that. They need to, they need to deal with that pain in their life. And of course, you know, that old saying, I don't know if your parents said this to you. I know it was said to me. Uh, Nathan, this spanking is going to hurt worse for me than it is for you. And I'm like, that's such a lie. <laughs> that's just not true. But now as a parent, I can really see that, man, when stuff happens to your kids, it's about the worst thing that you could ever go through. We can't save everybody, but we need to get them to take responsibility for their own action. Um, We can help them, uh, but we need to be careful that we don't rescue them, and especially those who will take no action for their own life. You can counsel, you can give good advice, but ultimately you have to trust in the Lord because that growth is really between them and the Lord. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever heard this, but do you know that in the beginning of, um, of Plymouth Rock, uh, back in, if you go back to the early 1600s, 1620, something like that, um, when, the, when the Puritans came, do you know that here in, in America, in our infancy, we practiced a form of communism? That everybody, all the food, everybody would go work, but all the food came in, into a common pool. But here was the thing, whether you went out or worked or not, you still got the same amount. And as a result of that, 
the, I think it's William Bradford, he, he recognizes this is not good because we've got a bunch of laziness that's going on. And so he ended up, he, he went back to the scriptures, he found a scripture that said, if a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. And he said, you're going to be given an allotment. We're not doing this thing that we were doing before, this communism idea. We're not doing that anymore. Here you have land. You work your land. You're going to begin to take care of your own family. And what you work for is going to benefit your home and your kids. And then what do you know what happened? All of a sudden, everybody starts working hard. Even mothers were taking their little ones out into the field to make sure that there were extra hands to plant every single area. And what do you know? All of a sudden, all of the poverty turned into prosperity. If a man shall not work, neither shall he eat. So if you take that concept, if I'm not doing something and I'm having all these consequences in my life, then that's going to happen to you. But if you work if you begin to do something, God rewards risk. He rewards effort. He rewards action. Now, Jonathan and Ahimaaz were standing at En Rogel, and the maidservant would go and tell them, and then they would go and tell King David, for, um, for they could not be seen entering the city. So here's what you have here. This is kind of like a spy network. This person tells this person, carry this message, carry it over here. And um, a, a network of good and faithful friends can be a, a major source of life to you. Here we are in the beginning of life group season. Life groups are, are being formed all around here. I want to just make one last appeal to you. Get into a life group. There's still life groups you can sign up with. But that's when we talk about one of the major aspects of our mission. We say it like this. You come to life, you connect to grow, find your purpose, and make a difference. The, the life group um, part of our church that makes us effective is getting you guys connected in relationships because it's not always the nice conversations that happen. Sometimes it's the tough conversations that happen. It's, it's, the, it's the wounds of a friend that are faithful to you. How many have a friend? You just, as soon as I said wounds of a friend, you had a face pop up in your mind and go, they wound me all the time. I know they love me, but man, they're the one that's always saying the tough stuff to me. You need a good network of faithful friends. They can literally save your life. In verse 18, it says, but a lad did see them saw this network of spies, and he told Absalom so that two of them departed very quickly, and they came to the house of the man of Baharim, who had a well in his courtyard, and they went down into it. Good friends in our life can be such a help to us, but we still need providence that comes from God to save us. How many, how many know that uh, in, the, in the beginning of our nation, the way that you, you didn't just say God all the time. Oh, God was doing this. God was doing that. God was doing this. Especially a man named George Washington. He would always use this word, providence. It means that there's a hand working above it all. And he's our helper. Now, I love my country. Anybody in here love your country? Okay, amen. You know, 
We won World War I. We won World War II. We have been a force for good in this world. And I know there are a lot of you who have to listen to that stupid 1619 project. You have a different view of this country. But let me give you one. We were needed in this world. God raised us up by His own sovereign hand. And there was a day where George Washington was on the ropes. The entirety of America, the idea of, we wouldn't even be sitting here in, this, in the same concept at all had this event not happened. But there was a day where the hand of providence, where it's not just, not just friends, but the hand of God himself saved us and preserved us and helped us to become a nation. It was so great that George Washington wrote a letter to a colonel. I forget which colonel it is, but he said this, there will be time after this war for me to become a preacher to tell all the ways that I've seen providence in the hand of God. This is a true story. Check this out. It was not the crossing of the Delaware that first preserved the American cause, but the crossing of the East River at Brooklyn Heights, New York. In August 1776, with Washington's men outnumbered three to one and surrounded on all sides except one, a serendipitous downpour delayed British artillery attacks. In addition, unfavorable northeast winds prevented the British from moving their ships up New York Bay to encircle the American position. This mile-wide channel was Washington's only possible path of retreat. The rain continued, and on the night of August 29th, the unusual northeast breeze intensified. The seagoing soldiers of John Glover's Marblehead, Massachusetts regiment were called on to ferry the American troops across the East River to Manhattan, and the exodus began at 9 p.m. When first light appeared, the evacuation of 9,000 American troops was far from complete. The oarsmen needed at least three more hours. Then, rising out of the wet ground and off the East River, came a dense fog which covered the entire river. As the sun rose, the miraculous fog did not lift. Washington's entire army was extracted, except for the heaviest caliber cannon. Just as the last boat pulled into the channel with General Washington aboard, the fog began to lift and dissipate. 9,000 men had been saved from certain capture or destruction, and the American cause preserved. That morning, when they realized that he was called the clever fox, that's the way they talked about Washington, and all of a sudden he was gone. So. There is action on our part that helps to save our life. There's friendship that helps to save our life, but never discount the swift, sure hand of Almighty God. It says the woman, she, remember there's these two spies, they're down in a well, and a woman took a covering and she spread it over the, the well's mouth and she scattered grain on top of it so that nothing was known. You know, Right when you need a person, God has his people scattered abroad, doesn't he? He has his people in just the right place at just the right time. And, and do you know what? You're one of God's people. Sometimes God has you uniquely positioned. Never be surprised when God puts a servant of the living God into the narrative of your life. 
If you have the ability to do good in somebody else's life, and you, where you could be, you know, like one of those oarsmen, you know, they could, they could say, oh, that's not a very important job. It was the job that was needed at the moment. That's a way we kind of talk about spiritual gifts. What do spiritual gifts do? They build up the church. What's the best of all the spiritual gifts? It's very easy, the one that's needed at the time. And so, you know, if God has that, that position for you to do something, always be looking to do God's will, even if it would put you in harm's way. Watch, watch this verse. It says, Absalom's servant came to the woman at the house and said, Where is Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, they've crossed the brook of water, and when they searched, they could not find them. They returned to Jerusalem. Now, how many know that woman lied? She straight up lied. She makes a choice that, it's, that, that to lie to these soldiers is better than outing them, better than seeing them killed, better than seeing David killed, better than having a kingdom ran by a rebellious son. And ethics, it plays into our participation in the great story. Now, you'd say, I, I can't believe that somebody would lie, and you as a preacher are up there saying, and I'm glad they did. But let me just tell you, this has happened all through the Old Testament. What about, what about the midwives in the days of Moses that were to take the babies and throw them into the river? if they were male. And they lied to Pharaoh, and they said to them, oh, I'm sorry, Pharaoh, the women are so strong. By the time we get there, the babies are already born. And what does it say that God did for the Egyptian midwives? He blessed them. There's a place where the children of Israel are having sex with the Moabite women, and they're not supposed to do that. God did not want that. It's not, it's not about racism. It's about faith. They did not have the God of Israel, and so they weren't to intermarry. And so now what happens is there's a man who he, he goes, I don't care what you say. I'm going to go have sex with that Moabite woman. Goes into his tent. In, everybody knows what he's doing. He's spurring just, just like, he's, it's like he's given God the finger. And he goes in and begins to lay with this Moabite woman. And Moses' nephew, I think his name is Phineas, he grabs a spear, walks into the thing, and pins them together in the, in, in, in the throes of intimacy pins him to the ground, kills him. Do you know what the Bible says he did for, for Phineas? He blessed him. Now, you're like, I, I, I'm struggling with this. That's okay. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I understand. But let me just ask you a question. If we were in the 1930s and you had a chance to take out Hitler, would you do it? And every one of you would be like, uh-huh. And you wouldn't bat an eye. Because you knew what would happen as a result. Well, I'm just telling you that there are times where there will be laws made by men and God's law trumps those laws. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God first before you are a citizen of the great these states. Look, I want you to, to realize that 
We don't have to help wickedness win. God's laws supersede the laws of men, and we should desire what God wants more than we should desire what man wants. If you can get priorities in order, look, there are a lot of hard things that we will be asked to do as Christians. God gave you a brain. God gave you the ability to think it through. God will help you to know what to do. But if we have to stand up against wickedness and that puts us in personal harm, I think that's what we should do. If somebody is going to rape a woman in the street, gentlemen, don't you think we should run to the battle? We should run to the battle. And it doesn't matter what happens to you. Verse 21, it says, It came about after they had departed that they came out of the well, and they went and they told King David, and they said to David, Arise and cross over the water quickly, for thus Ahithophel, for thus Ahithophel has counseled against you. The message makes it in just the nick of time by great personal risk to those who were loyal to King David. And then David and all the people who were with him arose. They crossed the Jordan, and by dawn, not one of them who had, uh, not one of them remained who had not crossed the Jordan. Not one of them was lost. Well, every time I hear that phrase, not one of them was lost, it takes me back to Jesus' high priestly prayer that he prays over his disciples. And he says to his father, Lord, I have not lost one of them except for the son of perdition. Who was the son of perdition? Judas. Was it prophesied that Judas would do what Judas was going to do? Yes. What was it he was going to do? Betray our Lord. Was Judas a Christian? No. The Bible says he did not believe. He was around Jesus. He even cast out demons in his name, but he didn't know the Lord. He didn't He didn't have that moment where he confessed like Peter did, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's interesting because there's a correlation. We're going to get to it in just a second. I want you to see it. You know, God doesn't want us to be lost. But that... What, what matters is, is that, once again, action comes into play. David values the intelligence, and he moves immediately with it. Action in our lives is pivotal to winning in life. You can't sit back and do nothing. How many of you have ever heard the story of the guy who's drowning on top of, or he's, he's, he's in a flood, and he crawls out on top of his roof, and and he's up on top of the roof, and he says, oh, God, save me, and and and, and so, you know, there's a, there's a canoe that comes by. He says, hey, do you want to get in the canoe? I'll take you to safety. No, I'm waiting for God to do something. And then another boat comes by, and, and it's a bigger boat. And, and do you want to you get in the boat? We'll save you. No, I'm waiting for God to do something. And a helicopter comes by and lowers a basket down. says, get in the basket. We'll save you. No, I'm waiting for God to do something. The guy drowns gets to heaven, and he's, why why are you here? He says, I'm sorry, I was waiting for you to do something. I sent a canoe, I sent a boat, I sent a helicopter. What's wrong with you, right? (laughs) You've got to do something. You can't debate everything forever. 
You have to act in order to save the day. God does much for us, but He doesn't expect His people to wait for Him to do everything. Why? Because your action is your faith involved. He wants to see your faith in action. If you have a problem, you need to do something about it. Do something about it. If, if, if the bank is coming after your house, call the bank. Make sure that you tell them what's going on in your life. Entering into various aspects of difficulty. You've got to begin to take some action. Good, get good counsel and then make a move. And if there's ways that we can help you on the finance side of things, there's a man in this room. He counsels me all the time. He's a great friend of mine. He says, Pastor Nathan, you need to talk more about money. And, and I said, well, what, why is that? And he said, because, he says, I deal with a lot of, seeing a lot of people go through divorce. And, and he said, there's always a money aspect to divorce. And I want wealth for your families. I want stability in your homes. And if that means that we have to talk about money and just get real practical on when you need to take some action and move. By the way, everybody should sign up. If you want to, you know, really help your marriage, go to the, Maybe that's too late. Maybe it's all sold out now. I don't know. But anyway, hopefully you got into the Firm Foundation's marriage thing. And, and then take care of your finances. Get help. We're happy to help you. We'll help you with, with, um, with Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. We have a Financial Peace Coach. If you're struggling, we want to help you. But you've got to make some action happen. Now when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, okay, so now he realizes that, that this young Absalom is not going to do what I told him to do. When he sees that that counsel was not followed, he, watch this, he saddles his donkey, he arises, he goes to his home, he goes to his city, he sets his house in order, and he strangles himself. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. Now stop for just a second. We were just talking about betrayal how many times in Scripture, and I mean, I might not be right on this, but there's only two that stick out to me. How many times do we have somebody who strangles themselves in Scripture? Who's the other person? Judas. So Ahithophel and Judas realized that their betrayal, you know, Judas didn't believe that Jesus would forgive him. I'm not sure he, he was right. I mean, I think Jesus could have forgiven him. He just didn't trust Jesus. And so he commits suicide. Ahithophel, he turns around and he, and, and he goes, oh, I know what's going to happen. He can see everything. He goes, I know that, I know David. I know how scrappy David is. I know, I can see God at work. I mean, for this young king to obey everything I ever said, but not to obey me here, this is clearly an act of God. And Ahithophel, what was he known for? He was known for his counsel. He found his identity in what he did and in really not who he was in, in the sight of God. He loses himself. Be careful that you don't get your identity from what you do. We're not human doings. We're human beings. He knew the coup d'etat was going to fail. He knew that David, well, at least he believed that David would kill him. So he puts his house in order and he kills himself. Now I want you to imagine how that reverberated around the kingdom. Can you believe it? Ahithophel, he killed himself? Can you, can you believe that? You know, 
I have, uh, being a pastor, you have to bury people. I've buried, I've buried people that are way too young to be buried. Had a student I just adored. Looked at him like my little brother. He put a 45 in his mouth and blew off his head. That was a hard day. What is suicide? It's like in your final act, you're going to say, I don't trust you, God, to get me out of this. I've often thought, what could change somebody's mind in that moment? Because a lot of times, you know, the enemy wants us to kill ourselves. The scripture says that there were demonic forces that threw that, little, that, that, that young man into the fire and into the water to try and snuff out his life. There is a demonic attack with suicide. I, thought, I know we just like to call everything mental health. I think it's more than that. I think it's a demonic attack. And if I could ever, you know, I get put in that situation again. Here's, here's what I've actually said. How many have ever seen the, the movie The Count of Monte Cristo? If you haven't seen it, Jim Caviezel's in it. Tremendous movie. You have homework to do. Go watch The Count of Monte Cristo. But if you read the book, and it's one of the best books I've ever read in way of literature, Alexander Damas, he is saying that at the end of this, he goes, listen, you overcome suicide with hope. You have to have hope. The whole story is a, a massive, it's a massive lesson on finding hope. So it's a long book, too, so maybe they'll change their mind just with how long it takes to get through that book. But I, um, walking out, there was a man. He said, thank you for preaching on suicide, Pastor Nathan. I said, why? He said, because I just had to bury a loved one of mine yesterday because of suicide. Those who are of death, they look at death as the solution. But we are people of the light. We are people of life. We should come against that demonic spirit in the name of Jesus. Next week, this is all going to correlate. We're going to show you a prophetic picture. I am so bummed I can't be with you next week. I think Micah gets to preach it. But you don't want to miss next week because uh, it's a, it is a tremendous, to, to this shadow king, it's type shadows and pictures. You wait till next week. Don't miss it. It says, then David came to Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan, he and all the men of Israel who were with him. What David is trying to do is get to the area that he has support. He had once deposed a king of Ammon and replaced him with his brother. And that guy, even though David was in a hard place, he was still loyal to David. He needed to get to that man. And Ahithophel knew that if David could get to his friendships, it could change the entire course of the situation. And so, you know, there's all kinds of people that got caught in this mess, which side they were going to fall on. Verse 25, it says, Absalom set Amasa over the army in place of Joab. Now, Amasa was the son of uh, a man whose name was Ithra, the Israelite, who went into Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, the sister of Zeruah, Joab's mother. Okay, so there's a lot of relationship there. Let me, let me make this easy for you. This Amasa is Absalom's cousin. It's also one of David's nephews. Joab 
and, and, and his brother are also David's nephews. What they're showing you is Joab is with David, and Joab is a bad, bad, bad man when it comes to war. Amasa, not so much. And so it's telling you that, that there's experience on, on David's side. That's one of the main things. There's no substitute for experience. That's why we share out of our, not, not just all the great decisions we've made, we share out of our brokenness. Why do we share out of our brokenness? Because that's where life really happened. You tell your kids the stories of your failures so they won't repeat them. You tell your spiritual sons and daughters the things you struggled with and how you came to learn what you learned because experience is a great teacher. And this young man, it's, it's, it says that he basically lives with his with his mother and his grandparents, and his dad came in and out of his life for visits and then just to lay with his mother. And it's probably telling you that Amasa, this new general, this young general who's, who's, who's working under Absalom, he's got, he's got some family issues. He's got some father problems. Maybe he wasn't ready to handle all the, the things that come with being given command. Perhaps he's not ready for that kind of a role but you're going to see him in the next chapter as well. So I needed to point that out to you. And Israel and Absalom camped in the land of Gilead. Now, this is where David had support. He could get there. He could get a little bit of rest. He could get his friends who had his back, and now he could face the enemy. And it doesn't matter whether or not you are outnumbered or how, how long the odds are. When you are able to get your feet underneath of you and you can say, this is a battlefield and I'm going to determine how this is played out on the battlefield. In war, picking the battlefield is incredibly important to success. If you've ever heard of Thermopylae and the, and, and, and the story of the 300 Spartans that rose up against the, the, the myriad of all of the, uh, the Persians under King Xerxes, there was this narrow little place that if they could get there, they could reduce the ability of the numbers of the Persians, and 300 could change everything if they fought together, and they fought side by side, and they fought in what was called a phalanx, and they knew how to operate with one another. Folks, this is the power of a church that knows, hey, our, our king has our back, there's a battle to be fought, and we're going to fight it side by side. You didn't just come to a church to sit down and hear a word. You came to a church to be part of a church. Amen. We say, come to life. Good. That's great. You don't know people staring at the back of their heads. It's nice that we have a time of greeting. Where you get to know people is when you build relationships and you connect to grow and you go from rows into circles. So you've got to be in a life group. I want that for you because I want you to live. I want you to survive. I want you to grow. I want you to thrive. Picking the battlefield. You watch next week. Man, I wish I was here. Because the battlefield is literally going to come to life. This is going to be phenomenal for you to see it. Where you war is important. And I just want to say this. Maybe you're a guest with us today, and you're just kind of like, oh, well, I came to this church. I heard something. Maybe I heard it on the radio. I don't know. 
I don't know how you came. But there's a group of people here that believe God's word. And we stand together and we fight together. And we have a common enemy and we know it's demonic. We're not out against people. We're against, against the enemy who's trying to destroy people. There's a place for friendship. You need them. You need them to be tough on you at times and to call the best out of you at times. But that's friendship, real friendship. We come together like this Kingdom Builders thing that we're doing in March. Do you realize why we come together to do this? We're determining on what field of battle is Life Church going to make a difference for the Kingdom of God. We call together to say that missionary is getting supported and that work needs to be done and that work needs to be done. This is not just about raising some extra money for missions. This is about changing the world and having his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we sit together and we say, hey, our life group is going to, we're, we're going we're gonna to man that table. We're going to be inspired. We're going to listen. We're going to let God talk to us. That's what we're doing. Yes, oh, there, there's 500 seats. I hope you get one. I hope you'll be a table leader. I hope that you will put the effort into the kingdom of God because you're not here in this world just to make money. You're not here in this world for your joy and your delight. It's not about you. It's about the kingdom. And there are people who know this and people that will come beside you and they will offer you their lives and you'll get the best. You'll get charged up. You'll get strengthened. But you've got to get to the people who understand what you understand. It says, Now David had come to Mahanaim, Shobi, the son of Nahash, of Rabbah, the sons of Ammon, Machir, the son of Emil from Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gilead, from Rogalim. They brought beds and basins and pottery and wheat and barley and flour and parched grains and beans and lentils and parched seeds. They brought honey, cur uh, honey and curds and sheep and curds of the herd for David and his people who were with him to eat. For they said the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. One of these guys, his name was Machir, and I want to draw attention to him for just a second. He was the guy who took care of young Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, when he was just five years old. He found a prince in distress. Young prince, if you remember, he was dropped by his nurse and he was crippled in his legs. This was the guy who took care of that little boy as he became a teenager, as he became a man, until he could be restored at the table of his dad's best friend, David. Pastor Micah told me a story. How many remember Jim Baker? Jim Baker uh, was probably one of the most renowned ministers back in the 80s. He, uh, if you went to North Carolina, there was a place called Heritage USA. At one time, I remember uh, being a little kid and watching the news stories where more people, more Christians were choosing to go to Heritage on vacations rather than go to Disney. And he was a big deal. And this guy had money flowing in, and he had favor flowing in. And you know what happens a lot of times when you have a lot of success? We, we, we lose sight of the Lord. 
And this happened to this man, and he ended up getting in trouble with embezzlement. The IRS came after him in investigations. He ended up having a moral failure. He was humiliated in front of the eyes of the world. And it was a big shock to the body of Christ when this happened. It was all over the news. Pastor Micah got to go down to North Carolina. That got bought out by a, a ministry by Rick Joyner, who has a prophetic voice in, in, in the country. And, um, and, and it's called Morningstar now. And he, and he bought that. But, but he went down there in 2010 and he said, you, are, you're, you had relationship with Jim Baker? He said, I was on his board. You were on his board. He said, well, tell me about that. Tell me what you learned. And, 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 and this man said, the Lord gave me a dream. And in my dream, I saw my son. And he was walking down a road and something happened and he ended up in the quagmire next to the road. It was like quicksand. And I watched my son as he struggled in that quicksand. And I looked out on the road and I saw people I knew. And I called out to them, help my son, help my son, help my son. And they walked right by. And he said, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Jim Baker is my son. Will you help him? And Rick Joyner said, I will, Lord. And he began to minister to him and visit him in jail and restore the man back. You know, that's what friendship does for us. Friendship believes that even when things are the worst in your life, it sees what God can do. It sees your potential and not necessarily your failure. And I, I just have a question for those of you. How many have found Jesus to be the greatest friend you've ever had in your life? He's the one that found you in the muck, in the mire. And when he came, he was faithful. And let me tell you something. Hushai is like the Holy Spirit. He's always at work. He's our war counselor when we're in trouble, and he's working on your behalf. He's trying to help you know what to do. You need a relationship with your Heavenly Father. You need one with Jesus Christ, who is the Savior and Lord of your heart, and you need the Holy Spirit because he's working in you and on you. Would you bow your heads with me? Because this is a story of friendship. Will you, as a friend, commit to concern yourself with the well-being of others? Will you give your word and then keep it? When you see your friend's weakness, will you promise not to exploit it? Will you give generously and so generously? And will you remember those who are with you in the battle? Will you be a source of refreshment the way that these friends were for David? Will you remember the past kindnesses done for you? Believing the best about one another. And will you model self-sacrifice in your life? No one did this more than Jesus.
The Bible says he is our friend that sticks closer to us than a brother. He refreshes us with his supply of grace and gifts. He finds us beleaguered and in trouble, and he loves us where we are. And he laid down his life on the cross to bear a weight that we could not bear. You need a friend like Jesus. I'd like our, our prayer team to come. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, you can do that. We'd love to pray for you. You need to do that. It's the smartest decision of your life. But can I tell you something else? Some of you have friends that they are wounded. And as I've been going through this message, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about your friend and how you can love your friend. And I'm asking if you would do something a little different this morning. Would you stand up and allow somebody to pray for you about your friend? Because your friend needs the Lord. So I want you to do it on their behalf. You got somebody that you love that God wants to use you. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.